welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hi, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> you sound very hesitant about this. Yeah, just thesis, GRE, everything's a disaster. But you know what? It's fine. We are trudging along. I also had, like, so many breakfast wraps this morning. It was great. Wait, why? Oh, because we had a thesis meeting for, like, the entire economics department, um, and they just had breakfast wraps, and it was really good. So I had egg whites and vegetables. But it was really funny because I wore my um, small is beautiful when it comes to government t-shirt, and my libertarian professor was there, and he was like, what are you wearing? And I was like, there was no sales tax. And he was like, you know, it was built into the price, right? And I was like, yes, I'm aware, but let me just have this moment. It's kind of a good microcosm for libertarianism. But anyway, so (laughs) I am sure you're going to be great. Jillian's taking the GRE. It's exciting. Oh, yeah, I am. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a time. Yes, I know all of this random vocab that I will never use after Saturday. When you're just so full of pulchritude. Thank you? Pulchritude means physical beauty. Aw, <laughs> thanks. I'm not doing super great um, because I haven't really slept. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting f- state to be on while on a podcast. Especially a podcast that requires you to talk about politics. Um, and I mean, if you've been listening since the summer, you've experienced sleep deprived Quinn a many a time because that was when I had to record at like two in the morning and we're kind of back at that point. So buckle in everybody. Yep. We're in for a wild ride. And we're going to start off today with what else? Talking about the state of the union, um, which is, it is interesting that this speech even exists, but the state of the union is a big speech that's given by the president once a year and it is supposed to be it comes from this like old um thing that like the president is supposed to address congress once a year and it's gotten expanded and expanded so now he addresses um a huge chamber of like congress and all their guests but it's also nationally televised and um it becomes a place that sometimes they announce new policy there sometimes they just talk about like successes and failures of the year mostly successes and it, it's supposed to literally be like give us the state of the union Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be very morale boosting but i was talking i was talking to quinn about this earlier and i was like i hate the state of the union like i don't care who's in office republican democrat libertarian even though that will never happen but i just feel like it's just a giant party where the president the person in charge is patting himself on the back for work that he did not actually do because everyone else does the work not actually the figurehead or whatever or something i don't know I mean, the president does things. Uh, I think, like, Trump doesn't really do anything. <laughs> okay. Trump does do things. Just not good things. Not good things. <laughs> but you cannot deny that he does things. As, as one does. The least controversial statement I have ever made. About Trump. I think that was the nicest thing you've ever said about him. I did. I think I specifically remember saying something nice about him one time because I always said that I would give him credit if he did a nice thing and then he did something that was mildly nice. I don't remember what it was, though. Anyway, so, yeah, the State of the Union, just as a general concept while we're talking about this, I mean, I'm kind of into it. I I feel like it's a very interesting, um, almost entryway point into 
current affairs and politics if you're not necessarily following it really closely. And I don't know what the exact numbers are. There probably aren't that many people watching the State of the Union who don't know that much about it. But I specifically remember watching the State of the Union a few years ago um, when Obama was president and it was before I was really following the news and um, current events very closely. And so that was really a slice that I got that I wasn't getting in a lot of other places. So I find that concept interesting. And I, but I think that it does suffer from this, like, it's not, it does tend to be like a very optimistic thing, um, which is fine. Optimism is cool. Like this is America and whatever, but it's also like, is that really the state of the union or are things bad? Like, how's it going out there? Is this a, let's talk about how cool we are or is this like, let's give a realistic image of what's going on? I don't know. No, yeah, that's definitely a good point. I mean, I feel like we, it's like we need a State of the Union because, you know, as Quinn said before, it really, it literally gives the State of the Union and it helps people who aren't involved in government or not paying attention to government, kind of a TLDR what's going on. Um, I just personally don't like it because I feel like everything that's said in the State of the Union could be uh, said in like a hundred word email, but that's just me. (laughs) I will say there's too much applause. (laughs) This is a problem I've had for years. Oh my god. People clap too much at the State of the Union. They're clapping like every other sentence and it needs to calm down. This was, I was reading the transcript for it um, because I did not want to watch it, but I did, I read through the whole transcript of what was said and they wrote every time there was applause and it was ridiculous. It was like paragraph, applause, paragraph, applause. And I was like, if I got this much validation <laughs> when I spoke... I would just be loving it. Would you have as much confidence as Donald Trump does when he tweets? Oh my god, actually this is, we will get into the actual substance in a minute, but one, another side note, I googled State of the Union to find the transcript for it, and I popped this Fox News article that was that was like, Obama referenced himself four times more than Trump did in his State of the Union. And I, I mean, okay, interesting. And the point was that, like, oh, everyone says Trump is so egotistical, but, like, Obama is really the egotistical one. And, I mean, there is some information to be gleaned from that and, like, to be gleaned from how many times you reference yourself. That's a that's a thing that happens in psychology, and we talked about that. But on the other hand, Obama isn't president, so, like, what is the comparison right now? Why, like, I don't care how egotistical Obama is. Like, he doesn't have any power anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think they're just trying to do that to sort of show some sort of precedence or like, oh, like Trump is getting, you know, crap for all of this stuff. But like Obama did the same thing, maybe even more so. But I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I think if you're in the spot to be president anyway, you have to be at least some level of egotistical because that's just the kind of person you need to be in order to get to that position. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, podcasters and youtubers too you know some careers are just like meant for that but anyway it's that's very much not the point but like my point was that that's not the point fox news i just thought it was weird that i'm sure they had other coverage but like that was the first article that came up from fox news when i just googled state of the union which just seemed very odd but okay yeah, like, out of all the things that could possibly come up, you know, like, oh, a summary or, like, a list of fact-checking. It's just, like, Obama is more egotistical than Donald Trump. Okay, cool. Now, what can we do with that, actually? <sighs> okay, but now to get into the actual substance of the State of the Union, a lot of, like, what you would expect 
a whole lot of stuff trying to stress achievements of the past year, which there really weren't that many in terms of actual legislation that Trump and the Republican Congress was trying to get done. And so the things that they did do, like the tax bill, were really strongly stressed. Um, and then there was other stuff, like they he talked. there was this whole section about economic um, prosperity. And I mean, the United States is doing well economically. It continued to do well economically last year. But um, it's, it's a bit of a misleading description to kind of, he was kind of claiming that as this like, such a successful first year of presidency, but it actually was just completely following the patterns of previous years. Um, and in fact, in some cases, it actually slowed slightly in growth. And so it was pretty much on par for what you would have expected considering 2016's growth versus 2017's. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I can see that, but I don't know. I would just like to know maybe more of the metrics of how they calculated it because there was definitely like... There has definitely been a surge in the stock market, um, and maybe that did slow down like after the initial news that uh, Trump won. Um, but it would just be interesting to see like over what time periods they calculated this and like how they measured it. But just my take. Yeah, although the stock market has actually gone down for the past few days, which is apparently not great. There was a one note in the one of the transcripts that I was reading with fact checks that was like. Previous U.S. presidents generally have tried to avoid talking about the stock market because it also goes down. And I was like, uh-oh. Because that's the thing. is like he can talk about how great the stock market is as long as he wants. But when it goes down, and it will go down because that's how the stock market works, everyone's going to point at all the times he said it was so great. And then he's going to be in pretty bad PR trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when I learned this summer <laughs> in finance, just the stock market is just not the most stable entity (laughs) what yeah i never learned about this in school i know right it's crazy there's actually it's just very hard to discern actual trend i mean of course yes over the years there is obviously a general upward trend just you know despite that one blip that happened in 2008 through 2010 but um (laughs) or you know the 30s (laughs) oh right those two um yeah but i mean i think it's just very hard to put an entire or assign some sort of just adjective for the stock market in just like one specific date and time because you know it literally changes like every minute so not exactly the best metric for how your first year as president has gone is what we're saying mm-hmm. not that it's technically untrue but it's just it's very misleading mm-hmm. although to his credit well to his credit but um We'll we'll link this, but there was a fact-checking article, and basically, like, a lot of the stuff he said was technically true, but as Quinn mentioned, um, as Quinn has implied, or as we're going to discuss, I mean, context is everything, and if you actually look closer at the statements, it's just like, well, yeah, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and I know that we've come to expect just, like, a large amount of blatant lying from him, but I also, I still don't like the idea of giving him credit for being, like, technically correct but not actually correct in practice or with any kind of context given to statements like you should be correct when you know giving the state of the union or when you're the president all of the time i think it's just interesting though because i mean i think no matter what he does his stuff is going to be interpreted um probably more harshly and as it should be and because he is the president so we obviously hold him to a higher standard whatever um I think it's interesting, like, 
it's funny to see this sort of dichotomy where it comes between like him actually saying stuff maybe not in the right context but all the stuff is technically correct versus when he was literally just like spewing out um lies like his inauguration when it was like oh this is the best the greatest inauguration ever or the most people showed up like you can really see the stark contrast between his fake news versus alternative facts and i think this i don't know it's just it's just funny to me (laughs) but you also just use two different synonyms for lying so like what world do we live in no I mean, everything's a lie. (laughs) This is a lie. We are all lies. My very slow and continuous emotional breakdown is continuing. (laughs) I mean, he also had a couple blatant lies in this speech, um, including a thing that he's claimed several times before, which is that he enacted the largest tax cuts in history, which is just like completely factually untrue. No, because Reagan, aka Bay, did that, but whatever, it's fine. Narrator voice. Reagan is not Bay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love that there were a couple things that trump said in the state of the union that i'm very supportive um including um he addressed the opioid crisis and discussed how we need uh greater efforts to help people who are battling addiction um and falling victim to this um he brought up paid family leave and said that there should be paid family leave in the united states and I mean, addressing the opioid crisis is a pretty bipartisan position. Um, paid family leave, interestingly, is a primarily Democratic position. Uh, so that's interesting for the a stance for the Republican president to take. But um, it has been pointed out that he did not state whether he means that there should be mandated paid family leave um, or that sh- they should just encourage private businesses to enact paid family leave, um, which are kind of like the Democrat versus the Republican idea of how this should be enacted. Um, the United States is like the only first first world country that doesn't have mandated paid family leave we're lagging way behind on that so it's been pretty strongly criticized that we don't have that and people wonder why women drop out of the workforce hmm Hmm. (laughs) was there anything else in the speech that you thought was a good note i guess he was kind of i mean i guess the overall message of a lot of the economics behind us was that oh, we're getting more business in the United States. And, oh, like, by um, cutting the corporate tax rate, we are motivating businesses to have their headquarters here, and that's going to be good for the American economy and things like that. But it's, I don't know, it's just like the article, or like the article we're going to link says, there's just a lot of context that was missing from that. And so I don't think it gives, like, an accurate depiction of what's going on. Yeah, like this one factory keeps talking about that moves its that moved its business from Mexico to the United States is like not technically true because they, they were opening a little bit more business in the United States, but they were not closing the factory in Mexico. Um, or like things of like, Oh, they're, they're reinvesting money back into the United States. So like Apple was reinvesting $350 billion um, because of these tax cuts. But like in context, like Apple was probably already on track to do like $275 billion of that. And so there's only there's a much smaller amount of like additional money that they're putting forward, which is like still counts in the billions. Like this is still so much money. Yeah, if someone handed me a check right now for thirty seven billion dollars, I would be very happy. I can't even think about how much money that is. That's so much money. But it's it's taking these things that are technically true and blowing them up out of proportion, taking them out of context to make them sound more impressive and better than they are. Which which is just funny because 
if you kind of look at the State of the Union as, as sort of a president's check-in with, you know, how the country is doing and him reporting to almost like, not his superiors, but, you know, I think this is a civil position, so you are reporting to the people that you work for, a.k.a. the citizens of the United States. So it kind of just reminds me of, like, when I submit my resume to companies and it's just like, I sound so much better <laughs> than I actually am on paper, you know? But then they see me and they're like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it's just funny. I definitely see, like, an analogy there. Beyond that kind of uh, middle ground stuff, uh, there were a few things that I had serious issues with. There was a little bit of signaling to his base in terms of patriotism and respect the flag and stand for the national anthem and this kind of stuff that is like clearly like subtweeting the NFL and um, Colin Kaepernick and all of these protests that have happened. And so that was a lot of, you know, like signaling, subtweeting to his base about um, like true Americans and all of this kind of rhetoric that has plagued Trump throughout his plague trump as if he's not starting it trump is the plague of this kind of rhetoric um throughout his campaign and his presidency but the section that really went off the rails was on immigration so he introduced this idea or he's talked about this somewhat before but he sort of formalized um his plan of this idea of the four pillars that he wants to do of immigration reform and one of them is to provide a path to citizenship for um dreamers um the people who were brought to the united states as children and have lived here their entire life pretty much which is a really cool thing but (laughs) um there's always a but there's a lot of buts there's three of them actually this is like one pillar that's you can tell is being used to bargain for the other three which include building this wall that is like one of trump's main campaign promises and for some reason, this idea is still around, but who wants to build this giant wall on the U.S. and Mexican border? I almost said U.S. American border. I wish they would build a wall just, like, around all of us. <laughs> anyway. Um, the third pillar, I feel even weird just saying pillars. It sounds so dramatic. But the third pillar is to end the visa lottery program, um, which he claimed hands out green cards to no skill workers, which is not true. Um, it is a lottery system that uh, gives 50,000 visas to people from countries with low rates of immigration to the United States. But in order to be in that selection and be eligible to be selected for that lottery, you have to have a high school education to have worked for several of the last, I think it's like two of the last five years. Um, uh, and the people who arrive through this lottery are actually more likely to have professional and managerial positions. So it's a, just not true that this is a completely random system yeah and i'm looking at the transcript of this and it literally says applause after every other sentence it's so annoying and the fourth pillar is that trump is calling for the end of family reunification um ironically calling it a wanting to protect the nuclear family there's a lot of Uh, There's a lot of rhetoric going on here, but he calls it chain migration, um, which is the very popular term um, that's used somewhat derogatively, uh, and it it, it evokes this image of, like, one person immigrates to the United States, and then they start pulling in all of their relatives, and he gives this implication. He says, a single immigrant can bring in an unlimited number of distant relatives, which is not true on several levels, because you're only eligible to sponsor green cards for family members if they are a direct family member, like a parent, a child, a sibling, a spouse. 
And there's also a huge waiting list. Like this can get backed up up to 20 years. Um, So it's not like you can bring in so-called unlimited numbers. Like it's very few. Um, People try to sponsor around three to four family members for green cards. And again, wait times can be years and years and years for this kind of thing. So it's not exactly this horrible so-called chain migration problem that Trump would suggest in this speech. Yeah, I think when he also talked about this, I think maybe he was alluding to the um, to also like illegal immigration, just like in terms of which, of course, I'm going to bring up the problem with that in like five seconds. But, you know, this idea that like, oh, yeah, if one person gets in, then like he can, you know, just automatically bring in all of these other people illegally. And I think that's also sort of the message he was going for, which is, you know, a huge blanket generalization, which is just one of the many, you know, incorrect things that he says like um what did he say that like oh everyone from mexico is a criminal and like he just like throws out these blanket statements that oh no he called them rapists actually specifically yeah amazing that was one of the very first things that he said that got attention on his campaign and then everyone proceeded to elect him president so good job yep so um with, with that in mind i think this was just also maybe a more subtle subtweet to his base but just like almost like a secret code (laughs) because what you said was like right like there's so many waiting lists and people who like deserve immigration just end up on these insanely long lists but then like maybe there is a small percentage of people who do like there is a small percentage of um people who enter the country illegally but like the way he makes it out to be is just obviously a lot more dramatic than it is yeah, I mean, Trump. one of Trump's major rhetorics has always been about immigration. It's this idea that, like, people are coming from Mexico to steal your jobs and to rape your children. And, like, we need to build a giant wall to keep them out and all of this really, really horrible stuff. And also just, sorry, just with the wall, it just drives me crazy because it's just like, okay, so... Uh, does, has anyone ever watched the Game of Thrones? Like, you can get over walls pretty easily. I know, I just, I can't even, because even if... There was this horrible immigration problem from Mexico and we needed to stop it. A physical wall literally doesn't help. I, most, most border hopping that happens in that way happens where there's already some kind of wall or barrier. Ladders exist. I can't. There's so many problems. But anyway, yes, Trump has always stressed this like really racist rhetoric. Um even though that, like, based on actual comprehensive studies, illegal immigration has very little effect on um, jobs and employment of U.S. citizens. Um, If anything, it it slightly affects uh, employment of very low-educated U.S. citizens, people who don't have a high school education, or um, other immigrants. It's also been suggested by many economists that we really need a lot of immigration right now, Not not backing off the topic of illegal immigration but um that like he is also suggesting significantly curbing legal immigration in a lot of ways and shifting to this so-called merit-based system even though people who immigrate to the united states like are more likely to like have professional positions and to not commit crimes and all these things and that with the aging population of the united states we actually really need a high immigration rate to like keep the workforce up right now and to you know maintain things like social security um and lots of other really important stuff yep flips here we are the model minority (laughs) actually none of that is relevant because i'm i was adopted and i was raised by white people so this technically doesn't apply to me but anyways 
Regardless, yeah. And there are studies that have shown that the majority, or like most people who do immigrate to the United States have like very advanced degrees. Like there are a bunch of PhDs, people coming from India, especially um, just very, you know, educated people who come to the United States and they're going to contribute um, and serve in the workforce. So, you know, there's just, I just wonder if Trump ever reads things before he opens his mouth. That's just like the main question I have. Well, that's it's that's so inconsequential to the message here because the message is Mexicans bad, Americans good because that's what got him votes in the first place and that what that's what continues to energize his base and it's an election year so we're going to continue doing that. We're going to continue trying to fulfill these promises to stop immigration of black and brown people because the people who are voting for Republicans in Congress don't like that. So, here we are. That was an aggressive simplification, but not an entirely inaccurate one. I mean, I think everything that Trump says is always an oversimplification and a blanket generalization. So, you're you're I think you're fine. I have a lot of rage in my heart. <laughs> Just full of rage. What's that, John Mulaney? You know how I'm full of rage? <laughs> so angry and horny all the time and I don't know how to express it. So, another trump news let's talk about a little thing called russia um so basically members of the u.s congress passed new sanctions on russia um pretty much all of them actually last summer because of all of the allegations with russia interfering with the election um and so people were just expecting you know for trump to really step up his game and be like no russia like put up some sanctions, have some regulations, some sort of, you know, limit. Um, but he did not. And this is, of course, very sketchy because um, people have always questioned his relationship to Putin. So, hmm, questionable. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. These sections were proposed, and I might add, passed overwhelmingly bipartisanly. By mm-hmm. Bipartisanly? Yeah. Is that a word? Well, it is now. It is now. Anyway, it was passed by the vast majority of the House and the Senate. Um, And because we can't prove that Russia had an influence on the outcome of the election, because that's pretty much impossible to prove. But we do, like, we know, we know that Russia at least tried to influence the election. And that's just, like, that in itself um, is deserving of sanctions, which is where these came from. And so that's why, like, Congress so overwhelmingly voted for it. And Trump signed this. Like, he did it reluctantly, but Trump did sign this. Um, and then when it rolled around to actually happen, he said, nah. And he kind of claims that, like, this would be bad for our position with Russia and stuff like that. And on one hand... Wait, what about our just position with the rest of the world, with everything that she's done, you know? Like, I feel like there are other, there's bigger fish to fry. There are, there's a lot of fish. We fried all of them. Oh, God. But yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, so on one hand, Trump, as the president of the United States, hypothetically knows more about our relationship with Russia than I do. He might know a lot more, depending on how things are going. Um, and what has happened in his past. But anyway, <laughs> just like factually, he has information that I don't, hypothetically. Um, and so there could be a totally legitimate reason why it's not democratically wise to impose sanctions on Russia right now. However, 
Um, I'm a little skeptical of this theory just based on his past behavior. But even if it is true, it just, just like doesn't look good on any level considering how much he's already been criticized for being too friendly with Russia and with Putin. Um, and it's also a breaking the law. <laughs> you know, that, that one little uh, tidbit, <laughs> you know, it's fine, <laughs> illegal, whatever. Um, but yeah, Quinn made an interesting point how the sanctions on Russia were pretty much promoted by both um, both sides. So this bipartisan um, thing that everyone wants, and then Trump, you know, who signs off on this, but is like, yeah, okay, and then just like keeps procrastinating on it. That's just not, that just doesn't give a great image or a sense of security. In virtually anything, really. But yeah, unfortunately now there's not a lot that we can do about it. I mean... <laughs> nothing we can do about it there's not a lot congress can do about it because congress can choose to try to sue try to impeach even but that's pretty unlikely um considering it still is a republican controlled congress and even though they did vote for this it's very unlikely that they're going to push it this far um even though it's a constitutional nightmare and it's absolutely egregious that this happened i mean Everything that's happened is egregious, and I know that we're all very tired and run down from this kind of thing, but seriously, like, this was signed into law, and then he was like, no, that's so, that's, like, not what a democratic leader does, and technically, here's the thing, he has only allegedly broken the law, because technically, here's a quote from the Washington Post, (laughs) The sanctions law says Trump can avoid implementing them if the sanctions if he proves that Russia has made significant efforts to stop hacking into U.S. election systems. It That sentence is hilarious to me because it, it says that it's okay if Russia did hack into our election system as long as they promise to stop. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, that's like, so So you're saying that Trump can, like, you know, call up Putin tomorrow and be like, hey, are you trying to not really interfere with our elections? And he can be like, yep, doing my best. And Trump can be like, yep, well, here's proof. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not how that works, but that's just the image it conjures up in my head. That's the new SNL skit this weekend, probably. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, that's, like, very likely that that will be what it is, unless something else happens between now and then. It probably will. Um... <laughs> And so technically, like, if there is proof to be gathered, for th- I'm not really not sure what the proof is that Russia is going to stop hacking to U- U.S. voting systems. But if that proof does exist, he could have hypothetically gotten that in secret and it's, like, classified or something. Um, and so he hasn't broken the law by doing this. Again, seems fairly unlikely. Uh, this is the world in which we live now. Anyway, we have virtually no checks and balances because Congress refuses to hold the president accountable for his blatant misuse of power in virtually any sphere and now literally just ignoring laws. It's fine. The executive branch has, you know, way too much power that they shouldn't, but whatever. It's fine. We did do this to ourselves. It's been a century of giving the executive branch too much power and then it got handed to the wrong person and we've set ourselves up to fail. Ah, the optimistic TLDR from Quinn and Jillian. So for our pop culture segment today, we're going to talk about a little tiny music awards (laughs) called the Grammys. 
Um, and I can actually speak about some of this because I actually know <laughs> a lot of the songs that were nominated, um, which is more than I can say when we go over the <laughs> any other awards that have to do with the Oscars or which. What, what was the time when I thought, like, the Oscars and the Academy Awards were two different things? Yeah, you started talking about um, how these awards are determined, like, who gets to vote and whatever, and you started being like, no, I think the Academy Awards does it differently than the Oscars. And I was like, excuse me? And then you were like, oh my god, I met the Golden Globes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so TLDR about the Grammys before we just go into this, um, we're going to talk about two things. Well, I'm going to at least talk about two things about how... Bruno Mars literally just like won everything, like song, album of the year, like literally everything. Um, and two people that I thought that should have, um, although they did get some recognition, Kendrick Lamar and Jay Z, I think they should have gotten way much more recognition. Although Jay Z and Beyonce did get recognition for being adorable with Blue Ivy because she was in the audience because she is flawless. <laughs> um, but I digress. And then the second thing I want to talk about um, is how. Lord was the only female who was nominated for was it best album? Hang on, yeah, album of the year. Yeah, um, how Lord was the only female nominated for best album of the year, but she was the only nominee who wasn't offered a solo performance slot. And so, once again, we have a great case of sexism, which is interesting because I think I remember Lord performing solo at the Grammys before, which is like. I just, like, remember that. Um, so it's weird that... It's, like, doubly weird that they didn't offer her a spot. Yeah, so, like, okay, we can say things like, okay, yeah, like, maybe it's not direct, direct, overt sexism because it's like, oh, we don't want Lord because she's a female, like, that kind of thing. But, you know, it is still very sus that she was the only one not, you know, offered to perform by herself. Mm-hmm. Before we delve into, like, the real meat of these topics, I do just want to take a second to shout out a couple of things, which... um one, Carrie Fisher won Best Spoken Word Album, uh, which is my favorite Grammy category, because um, so, that's, like, for audiobooks, and so she won posthumously for uh, The Princess Diarist, Diarist? Yes, um, which is uh, a memoir of her years when she was working on Star Wars, um, and I love her, and I miss her every day. We'd like to take now a few moments to recognize that next year Quinn will be competing in the Best Spoken Word Album Division, so everyone stay tuned for that. Yeah, that's a thing that'll definitely happen, because I definitely have an audiobook that's eligible for a Grammy. Okay, well, I will write a book, and you can read it, and then you will win. (laughs) My god, they should have a Grammy category for podcasts. How awesome would that be? I wouldn't win one, but it would be great. (laughs) I mean, they literally have Grammys for everything else, so I'm surprised they don't. They do have a lot of Grammy categories. It's really funny, actually. But um, I also just, fun fact, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama both have Grammys. Like, they have one of those, like, Grammy statues somewhere in their home because they won for their um, respective audiobook memoirs. And that's just the greatest thing ever. I don't know why, but it's just, like, really, like, picturing someone just recording a audiobook just like i don't know brings me great joy like do they just like sit in a studio and they're just like page one (laughs) which i know is what they do but to me just imagining like barack obama just like doing that it just it just makes me laugh i know apparently recording an audiobook is actually very difficult um because it is so much harder than like what we're doing right now and just talking to each other um but i i would totally love to record audiobooks i think it sounds great Mm -hmm. and yeah like especially the good ones 
they must be so hard to produce oh for sure like if i would like imagine reading all <laughs> seven harry potter books there are some audiobooks that have full casts i mean, they have different people come in and do the voices for all the characters which just sounds like so much work yeah that's a lot Anyway, we digress. Um, but yes, audiobook category or best spoken word album. Um, great times. Always great times. And also, uh, Dear Evan Hansen won for best musical theater album. Um, and now Ben Platt, who is the star of Dear Evan Hansen, is halfway to an EGOT. He has a Grammy and a Tony at the age of uh, 24. So if he jumps into film and television now which is not unlikely uh, because he's done some before and he's very popular right now then he is a serious contender for to be the new youngest EGOT winner um getting an Emmy Grammy Oscar and Tony because currently that title is held by Robert Lopez who was 38 um he was the composer of Frozen and Lin-Manuel Miranda was going to take that title at the age of 37 and then La La Land stole his Oscar <laughs> yeah and I did not see La La Land but Quinn saw it and it was, would you say it was, like, good, but not as great as everyone made it out to be? I saw a quote that summed out how I feel about this snub perfectly, which is, um, Moana did not cross the seas to return the heart of Tata Nui to lose to Ryan Gosling's mediocre voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, though. Yeah, anyway, um, How Far I'll Go is one of the best songs ever written. Don't at me. <laughs> But yeah, just some other people I want to shout out. Oh, Childish Gambino, The Weeknd won best, like, uh, I forgot the title, but it was like best alternative, ur- it was like best urban album or something. I don't even know because it's like not pop, but it's not rap. So they kind of just like, you know. They do have very funny category names at the Grammys. You would think that everyone has a Grammy judging by like how niche these categories are. No, yeah, seriously. And then when you like, of course, um, the list that we'll post, like most of the like, the awards that everyone pretty much knows are on the top. And then when you, like, keep scrolling, like, you'd be surprised about how many more categories there are. Because <laughs> a lot of them aren't televised as well, because no one really cares who wins, like... Best classical album played while listening to another classical album <laughs> in the middle of the forest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was basically a category. That's actually what I'm going to win next year. That's what I'm <laughs> going for. <laughs> This is also the only major award show that Jillian knows more about than I do, which is kind of funny. Oh, circling back, um, because the Grammys are now very uh, hip-hop heavy. Because hip-hop and rap are two incredibly inventive genres, and so these songs and these artists are nominated more and more frequently. Um, But on the other hand, as we saw happen play out in this Grammys again, are much less frequently awarded than you might expect hmm yeah like I don't know especially recently like rap and hip-hop have just been so influential when it comes to shaping culture and of, of course the music scene obviously um so it's kind of disheartening that it doesn't it still doesn't get the recognition that it deserves um also just like of course on top of this there's also snubs to you know regarding the lack of women nominees I think there's I think there's some statistic that's like there's only been nine percent of um yeah of the 899 people nominated in the last six grammy awards um only nine percent were women so that's such a low percent that is wow we did not even hit the double digits okay um and then so there's of course sexism regarding that although i don't want to throw around sexism like 
the word too lightly because I do think it has, there are a lot of nuances to it. But also, um, the, the song Despacito, which is objectively a jam, <laughs> did not get a single award. The original artists of Despacito, Louis Fonzi and Daddy Yankee, performed Despacito at the Grammys, but people were like so mad that Bieber didn't perform with them. And it's just like, okay, like, come on, people. Like, Justin Bieber, when he, one time when he performed this live, he like forgot the words. So clearly, I don't think he's that invested in this. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, you use the phrase, I don't want to throw the word sexism around. And then my first thought was, yeah, I want to throw it at people. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. You should have interrupted me. I would have appreciated that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I waited my turn. And Despacito also is tied for the longest running Billboard 100 number one hit ever. And it didn't pick up any Grammys, which is like, commercial success does not mean um, critical success. Um, as we've seen play out over and over again, uh, like throughout history, but it's still a little sus. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, I just can't get over how catchy Despacito is. But I mean, really, this is the thing is that with the Grammys, as with most of these larger award shows, the people who are voting on them are old dudes. They're not typically listening to hip hop. Um, they're not typically ingrained in these cultures understanding like the cultural relevance um the cultural importance of what these albums are and like i think that we see this happen a lot is the things that um have a more so-called traditional which usually means white um appeal are the things that are more frequently awarded at these kinds of things Mm -hmm. and one example of this is last year when um, Adele actually won Album of the Year over Beyonce's Lemonade. And I'm not saying that Adele does not deserve the award because she is an incredible artist. But Lemonade was pretty revolutionary in the fact that it was recorded and completely done under the radar. Um, and Beyonce just like dropped this like masterpiece and it was phenomenal. So it's just, even when Adele accepted the award, she was like, she, like, obviously took it uh, graciously, but it's like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have won this. But anyways, the point is um, that we do, I think we do have, as a culture, just this image in our mind of what's traditionally good versus not. Yeah, and I remember we talked about the Adele-Beyonce thing last time, and even in Adele's acceptance speech, she was like, uh, this is Beyonce's award, which is... I mean, good for her, but also awkward. <laughs> but yeah, it's about, it's about gatekeepers of culture. And I mean, in this modern age, we don't have to have gatekeepers of literally culture anymore because um, the internet has made it so much more accessible and like people get not to choose what culture they're in, but they get to choose which culture they participate in um, because it's so much more widely accessible but when these things like top accolades in the industry are still like very literally have gatekeepers um, and people who are sitting on boards who get to vote on these things. And the question becomes, are the awards going to update for the times and to recognize like new genres and styles that are the most important and award worthy? I mean, and I don't know a lot of this music, so I can't personally judge, but like, but just in terms of like cultural impact and um, cultural prominence in the world today, 
either these kinds of award shows update for the times or they become largely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is some sort of time window where like things need to update because I mean we've seen this pattern in the past where music that now is accepted was definitely not accepted back in the day like um when jazz first came out everyone thought it was like the worst thing ever and now it's you know in one of those categories that's like considered like high culture and like smooth jazz and like saxophones is just that was a terrible (laughs) description of jazz and I did not mean to generalize that jazz is way more complex than saxophones but I'm just (laughs) for the gist of the for the sake of the argument just bear with me um and so how jazz was like extremely bastardized back in the day and now it's considered you know one of the highest forms of music that we have or at least you know very well respected so maybe there is some sort of delay when it comes to taking into account Um, these new types of music and these new styles and maybe we just need to wait a little longer to appreciate them but I still think that they deserve to be appreciated and I just guys I just really love Beyonce yeah and we can debate the merits of like individual artists and individual music as much as we want um, and we totally do and that's great and fun Um, but it's less about like whether Kendrick Lamar personally deserved to win a Grammy although I think a lot of people believe that Kendrick Lamar personally deserved very much to win a Grammy but that's beside the point it's like more about when this happens over and over and over again it's not as much about the individual artists as is the 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 voting board as a whole not recognizing an entire genres and therefore like entire groups of people Quinn I just wish me and you just decided to won things I do not okay Um, (laughs) I mean maybe it was my full-time job but like, because then I could actually sit down and watch and listen and read everything. Um, but currently, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Good point. At this point, I'm going to go back to sleep. So we're going to stop recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you'd like to find us on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find us online at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings. If you'd like, there is a contact form there. You can send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking to me, Jillian. Thanks for talking to me, Quinn. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.